Welcome to Sacred Intersections Podcast, where we navigate the twisty roads of harmful theology, mental health, and religious abuse. I'm Jill. I'm an ordained pastor in the Presbyterian Church USA with training in pastoral care and counseling. And I'm Paula. I'm a licensed professional counselor, a counseling professor, and a person of faith. So as we're getting started, we just want to say that Sacred Intersections Podcast is about respectful discussion and conversation to encourage you to think. We're not trying to make you think like us. We just want to make you think. That is our agenda. Neither one of us speaks on behalf of the Presbyterian Church USA or other religious organizations or other organizations which we may be connected to in our professional lives, nor do we speak on behalf of all mental health care professionals and practitioners, people of faith or Jesus followers or white women or Americans or people who love dogs. Exactly. Sacred Intersections is a podcast where we include discussion and conversation about religion and spirituality and mental health and all of those different ways that they intersect. So we were already having these kinds of conversations and we decided it might be fun to record them and share them with all of you. So we're really glad you're along for the journey, even if you're traveling some different roads or you're driving different vehicles than we are. We're just glad you're tagging along with us. Yeah, so roadies, welcome to our episode today. We're really excited that you're here. We really appreciate uh, all of the interaction that we've been able to share with you over the last couple of weeks. We really loved getting your emails and comments and stuff about our episodes, our two recent episodes on Christian nationalism and on singles. It's been a really positive experience being able to chat with some of you about stuff. So thanks for reaching out. Yes, we especially love those of you who are sharing the episode with people or recommending it to people. I mean, you're all our favorites, but those of you who are sharing it, like we are really our favorites, but you're still all our favorites, but we really love and appreciate that. If there were a way for stickers to be involved, we would try and make it happen. Oh, maybe we need to make that happen. That's Mm -hmm. an idea. We have a wonderful artist friend who makes stickers. Love that. Love that. How about you tell us about today's intersection? So today we are talking about the ideas of religion and spirituality, maybe religion versus spirituality. We're still not quite sure. We're hoping a title will come out of our conversation today because um, we're talking about the way those two things might intersect and overlap, but also some ways they might be different and We've mentioned this on earlier podcasts. I think we've touched on this idea a little bit and decided it would be a good idea to do a whole episode on it. Um, Yeah, I think we'll get a little deeper into how this is meaningful for our particular podcast. Yeah. So it seemed helpful for me for us to start with some definitions. Uh, We might call them dictionary definitions. We might call them textbook definitions. Love dictionary definitions. This English major loves the dictionary. Yes. So according to dictionary.com, religion is defined as a set of beliefs concerning the cause, nature, and purpose of the universe, especially when considered as the creation of a superhuman agency or agencies, usually involving devotional and ritual observances, and often containing a moral code governing the conduct of human affairs. That was the religion definition. That's such a fascinating definition. That is not, I mean, parts of that would be what I would think of the religion definition. And parts of that sound much more like the spiritual definition. They're already intersecting them. That's really interesting. Dictionary.com. I'm interested. So spirituality, less helpful, dear dictionary.com. <laughs> quality or fact of being spiritual. 
Ah, uh, so then you got to go look up spiritual to see what that means. Yeah. So it also defines it as incorporeal or immaterial nature, uh, predominantly spiritual character as shown in thought, life, etc. For example, spiritual tendency or tone. Ugh, I hate when they use the word to define the word. Right? Yes. Maybe a little bit. Um, do better dictionary.com. Yeah. Do better dictionary.com. So, so how do you define those words, Jill? Yeah. It's interesting because I often find as in my role as a religious leader, I find that I am often talking about maybe the differences between religion and spirituality in a sort of uh, evangelical way. And I use that word evangelical um, in what I believe is, is its truer sense in like trying to um, share the good news of the gospel. So I am trying to convince people the merits of religion because I have some feelings about it and I'm slightly biased having dedicated <laughs> my life and vocation to it. You think um, it being your livelihood, religion's kind of important. It's, it is. So I look at religion more as a, uh, a very human thing. Religion is a, a set of beliefs or structures uh, around theology. Theo, the Greek or Latin uh, for God. Nerd alert. Yes, my nerd word alert. Um, Or like ology would be the study of. So it's often grouped by sharing similar morals or ethics or values. There are many religions, not all, but many religions that have some kind of a hierarchy where certain beliefs are given more weight uh, due to their truth um, or divinity than others, that um, there are many religions that have a hierarchy of leadership uh, where certain people are raised up above others in terms of their skills or abilities or attributes or other things. Um, There is often, as our deardictionary.com told us, a set of beliefs or rules related to how you should live or how you should strive to live. Uh, I also think about religion as a very communal thing, something that's done in community that's ascribed to by a number of people. Um, I'm sure there are ways in which one person can be their own religion. But when I think about sort of comparing and contrasting religion and spirituality, when I look at spirituality, it seems a little bit more individual. Uh, It's a word that's used by humans to describe connection with the divine um, that may or may not ascribe to certain structures of belief or practices. And the divine um, is a very sort of open concept that could be the spirit itself or nature or some sense of otherness. And it's interesting because I think culture has put a lot of weight into the definitions. And so people, a lot of people think that they can be spiritual, but not religious or religious, but not spiritual. Uh, And I have some thoughts and feelings about that, that I'll share. But um, what do you think, Paula? How do you define the two and understand them both as a mental health care practitioner Mm -hmm. and as a person of faith? I, I want to hear your thoughts and feelings about that because that was going to be part of, of my definition is that I think people can be one and not the other at times. But um, 
I agree with everything you said, um, generally speaking from a definition standpoint, and just to kind of break it down for me, when I think of religion, it, I think organizationally, I think structurally that it is a system. Um, so it might be a church or it might be a denomination or a larger, um, just Christianity and then the denomination and then the church within that, but there's, it's, it's institutional. So it's, there's the organizational piece where things are planned and agreed upon. And this is the way we do it. This is the way we meet. This is the common belief that we have and spirituality being just basically a connection to something greater than yourself, something outside of yourself. And for me, those things overlap. For me, those things, my spirituality is practiced through my religion. So organizationally for me, that's a place where I connect to God, where I connect to others who share that same belief in God and Christ and where I practice that spirituality. But I do think that it is very possible for people to be involved with organizationally without having that belief or that connection or that connection driving that belief or for that you don't have to be connected to an organization to have that connection both within Christianity and without Christianity. So I'm seeing your, so I'm seeing some thoughts going off in your head. So, so one of the things that I think about is that we, we describe our podcast about specifically the ways that uh, religion can sometimes be harmful and I find it fascinating that we say religion can be harmful. And we don't say spirituality can be harmful. And there's there's ways in which the two terms are interchangeable. And I think that there are ways in which it's important to separate the two. Uh, I would say that there are many ways in which religious institutions can be harmful. And the structures that humans have put up around their uh, institutions of belief and the ways in which they live their lives are the things that create that harm, that it is not the divine or the the otherness that is causing the harm, which may be the entire point of our podcast. All of the episodes all put together to try and point out to people that it's not God or the divine that is causing mm. the harm. It's what humans. It's, it's how people really carry that out. Yeah, how people carry that out. And that's really interesting because as I was thinking about this topic and in this podcast, I I did think about, I I put this actually down in several of our categories that we're about to get to, how how often I feel like that the harm, religious abuse or religious harm happens when the spiritual part is taken out of the religion. Like when the religion and the organization and the structure and the rules become prioritized over the spirit that's driving them. And that that's where so much harm happens. I do think the spiritual can be used to harm again, both of these things when they're twisted, that would be, if you think back to the three categories um, when we talked about my dissertation study, so there are three categories of harm being those that come from a leader, those that come from a group, and then those that come from like the theology or the belief. And that's that last part is where I can see spiritual notions getting twisted about your worthiness or where God loves you or your acceptance. Um, so, so I, yeah, they're, they're still really intertwined for me. Yeah. Yeah. Well, and it's just the most 
basic premise that's so helpful for you to, to draw that out because in religion, when we think about say the context of our worship, uh, speaking from a, a Presbyterian point of view, Presbyterian Church USA point of view, the purpose of our worship is that everything we do should point to God. Mm-hmm. And when we do things that are not pointing to God, that turns it into a very human thing and not a very divine thing. It takes the spiritual aspect out of our worship when we're more focused on when the church with a big C is more focused on the carpet in the sanctuary or (laughs) the hymns that are being sung in the context of, you know, are we going to sing, are we going to have a drum set in worship or how, how those things are done or, or whether worship is seen as a performance or as an act of an offering a portion of ourselves. So that is so helpful in thinking about what happens when we take the spirituality out of religion, when we allow our humanity and our faults and failings to sort of override things. And that true North compass that should be pointing to God maybe veers off in a different direction. Yeah. That's a great metaphor. Yeah. I have, I have lots of thoughts about that in our roadblock section that Mm -hmm. I think will come back. So, so yeah, I want to dig in more there down the road. Do you want to talk a little bit about the mental health road? You know, when I think about mental health and as I've said in specifically those episodes about mental health in the church, where I think counselors should always be assessing for someone's religious or spiritual background. This is one where I think I just want to emphasize that again, that that's important because both religion and spirituality and the way they overlap and intersect or not in a client can be really important to understand for, for counselors and, and understanding the difference there, even how you word it on your intake. You know, if you put down religion, someone might put down like, oh, I grew up in a Baptist church. And so they might put down Baptist and you might make some assumptions about the role of spirituality in their life versus that's just kind of an identity that they have. And they still think about more organizationally. So I think even from the assessment point, counselors need to be really intentional to kind of ask about, are there communities of faith and then are there beliefs that impact their mental health because both religion and spirituality can be really important and helpful in maintaining mental health i know we spend a lot of time on this podcast talking about ways that religion can harm but this is a place i do want to spend a little bit of time talking about the ways that both of those can just be really helpful for people in coping and in just staying mentally healthy from the beginning you know religion that structure can provide a sense of community, can provide a sense of belonging, because when church is good, when church gets it right, it is so good. Mm-hmm. It's just so good. Like, I just, I think about our church that I love so much and that, you know, out of the many losses that the COVID year has brought, um, being able to gather together in our religious, in my religious community is my biggest grieving um, in many ways. I just miss it so, so much um, because it has been so important to me in my mental health and having a sense of belonging 
the ministries that churches provide can really provide meaning the act, the ways you're able to serve people can, can give your life meaning. They can pull you out of yourself. You know, a lot of times mental health issues are exacerbated because we just, we just pull into ourselves and we can get so inwardly focused and that can start to really just kind of implode in on itself, but ministries can provide a place to give perspective and to focus on others and to have meaning in that. And on the flip side, just like any other community, there are positives. And then there's also those potentials for negatives. So I think we spent a lot of time in the podcast breaking down the ways the religious communities can hurt. So I don't want to spend too much time here, but all those same issues can happen in a religious organization, the othering, the exclusions, the just hierarchy of the way people are valued. Um, so all of that can certainly happen in a religious community. And I saw you nodding some. So before I go to the spiritual piece, I want to give you a chance to jump in if you want. Just, I, I just am so grateful for the way that you talk about community as a, as a powerful means of healing that I, I think that's something that's been really hard for us to claim in these COVID days about continuing to claim our place in, in various communities and everyone is kind of going through their own process and things like that. But I do think that community is a really important part of, of folks' mental health. And I think that it's important to say that community is important regardless of whether you identify as an introvert or an extrovert or shy or however cautious you're being in terms of going out and, and connecting with people in these days or not and, and things like that. So, you know, if you happen to be an introvert hearing this and someone who cringes when things like God created you to be in community, like that's, that's not asking you to be someone that you're not. Uh, that's, that's a genuine community is something that even perhaps maybe you have more expertise in this than I do, Paula, like our biological makeup has to do with our ability to interact with, with other people and the ways in which, you know, hormones and endorphins and things like that are, are part of the mental health care that we provide for ourselves when we're not alone 100% of the time. Yeah. It's just, it's just so meaningful to be somewhere where you're known and where you're known and loved and known and accepted, but even just being known is, you know, jumping ahead, I guess, to a billboard that if you're old like me and remember the sitcom cheers, cheers theme song is exactly what I was thinking. That theme song of you want to be where everybody knows your name. And, but there's such meaning. I mean, what the message behind that is not only do people know your name, they know who you are, they know you and you're, you feel a part of that. And when church allows space for that in a, for you to be vulnerable and still be accepted and to get through that vulnerability hangover, once you're vulnerable and to still be loved and accepted, it's amazing. And when it's, a place where you don't feel known or you're not allowed to be yourself and be known, then it's the exact opposite. So that's where church has, and religion in general has the opportunity to be both of those things. Sidebar. One of the things I have always wanted is to have 
to be living in a place long enough to have my go-to coffee shop where I could walk in and everyone would go, Jill, <laughs> like everyone does with Norm in Cheers. Norm's here. <laughs> but someday we will find that place when it's safe to go to coffee shops and do all those things again. I think that's a good goal in life to have somewhere where, yes, you walk in and they people know you. Everybody Even like, at, so another billboard, just have you ever been to the restaurant Moe's? It's kind of like Cadoba or Chipotle. Uh huh. Yeah. You walk in and they they they're supposed to go welcome to Mo's. Like they're all supposed to yell that when you walk in, <laughs> and it's just a way of kind of acknowledging you and like intentional welcome. So that's maybe a little sidebar that I don't know if we want to leave in or not, but that was kind of fun. Yeah, for sure. That community aspect, I think it's important, and and one of the things. I don't want to jump off the mental health road yet, because I think in terms of spirituality, there's the belief culturally that spirituality is something that is very personal to you. And it's something that you do on your own and um, sort of almost like this sort of hipster, like, oh, I'm, I'm not religious, but I'm very spiritual, which that sounds really judgy. And it's not, well, it is a little bit meant to be judgy because spirituality isn't necessarily only something to be done by individuals. I think that there can be communities of people practicing spirituality. Our church during this Lenten season, which is that season between um, it's sort of between Ash Wednesday and Easter, sort of 40 days journeying up to the celebration of Easter, is engaging in spiritual practices of learning different ways to pray and meditate and all sorts of things like that. So I think that the idea that you know religion is communal and spirituality is individual. I want to sort of push up against that because I don't. Yeah, think I the case. I agree. I, and as I said, that's where my spirituality manifests itself through religion and through that community. And it, from the mental health perspective, for spirituality, I would say it kind of whether it's practiced through religious or religious organizations or not is the idea of this existential meaning, you know, giving meaning to life, being able to see a bigger picture, being able to give some kind of eternal focus or even longer focus, maybe not eternal. That's um, just some kind of connection. So for me, knowing that I am a child of God and believing that God created me mm-hmm. gives me purpose in life, gives me meaning, even if nothing else ever gives me meaning in life. So that's where that spiritual piece provides a grounding for me. And that's where, you know, as a Christian, it's, I respect that other people have different views and certainly allow space for that. And I, it's hard for me to understand it because this is so central to the, my meaning for life, for how, why life has meaning and why I think I'm here. And we all want to feel like we have purpose in life. And so that that's where I kind of come up with that spirituality piece and it's practiced through my church, but it's also practiced in my job and it's also practiced in my friendships and it's practiced in my family. And so it's, so it's pervasive in every aspect of my life, but the religious community is definitely an outlet for it, but I don't think it ends there. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I think I also want to leave space that the idea that spirituality is this thing beyond yourselves, that there are people out there likely practicing spirituality who may be practicing something beyond themselves that they would not call divine 
or that they would not call something, you know, like a, a creator or a God and leave space that there's, there are ways in which spirituality can occur without that divine presence. I've not done a ton of research about that, but I want to leave space that there's room for that out there, certainly. And yeah, that's I think a that definition of, captures that. Yeah, yeah, I think that's a broad definition that could capture that as well. Yes. Yeah. One of the websites that I saw um, credits Christina Puchalski. Apologies if I'm mispronouncing that, Dr. Puchalski. Uh, she says, spirituality is the aspect of humanity that refers to the way individuals seek and express meaning and purpose and the way they experience their connectedness to the moment, to self, to others, to nature, and to the significant or sacred. Hmm. And I appreciate the way that to the significant or yeah. sacred gives a big enveloping definition of, of how that's experienced. And that I would imagine in mental health, spirituality is, is really important as well, because it does pull you all of the things you already said, it pulls you out beyond yourself. It gives you a chance to find some purpose or some connectedness to not feel as though you are all alone and doing it by yourself. Yeah. And I think that's why it's important for counselors to pull this apart a little bit and to not be afraid to dig into what their clients mean when they talk about religion or spirituality, because that religious system can be coping, a coping mechanism of support and a place that is comforting and a kind of a go-to person in their life. It can also be triggering. It can also be the part that's causing the stress. It can be all those things that we've talked about, the ways that it can create harm. And the spirituality can be the same kind of thing. So when someone's talking about prayer being comforting, that may or may not mean in a religious setting or an organized specific prayer. And so counselors always have to be constantly assessing ourselves for our own lens and what we're bringing into a session and recognizing that when I think prayer, somebody might go Lord's prayer. That's what they're talking about, but that there's tons of other types of prayer that it might be. So not making assumptions. And as with all aspects of culture, when it comes to counseling, check in with our client and really provide some space for what they mean and understanding how religion can be helpful or hurtful and spirituality can be helpful or hurtful and they may go together or they may not. Mm -hmm. I think too, about the idea of, of abuse and harm around the times in which the two are a little bit conflated together and someone may experience or label their harm or their abuse as as this is God is doing this to me and God mm -hmm. is making this happen or the divine or, or the, the, this being an, an aspect of religion when maybe it's the structure of religion, or maybe it's the way in which the community or the religious leader has sort of come around that and sort of breaking the two apart. So folks who have been hurt by the church or felt as though they can't be themselves in, in a religious setting having that broken apart and understanding the spiritual aspect of that and that they can still call themselves a child of God and experience prayer and spirituality apart from the community or the structure that was causing the harm or yeah. making them feel as though they were being abused. That's a helpful sort of distinction around that. 
Yeah. And that was identified by so many of the people in my study who said being able to pull that apart and identify their experience as bad religious leadership versus bad God Mm -hmm. um, was helpful for them. And there certainly may be clients who don't want to pull that apart. And we have to allow space for that experience too. But knowing that can be helpful for some clients to be able to say, was this a church harming me or was this my beliefs harming me? And sometimes those are the same and sometimes they're not. Yeah. So is there anything though, Jill, on the religion or spirit or I think we call it the religion road, but that's interesting. Why did we decide to do that? Well, I think we've already touched on, on a number of pieces that particularly on the, on when we're talking about religion, we're talking about the structures that have been created by humans around connecting with and experiencing the divine and that there are times when it's helpful to make that distinction. And there are times when like the Venn diagram with religion in one circle and spirituality in another circle, when we're really talking about the ways in which they overlap. So I think about a lot of the ways in which religion does something other than practice spirituality when it becomes more about the structure or the rules, which I think is one of the categories in your, in your dissertation study that we reference so often that when the rules are prioritized over the people, when we get away from pointing to God and pointing to the divine and the spiritual aspect, that is a lot of times when things struggle. And there are so many truths buried in our sacred texts in scripture about the ways in which we draw God out of our practices that the prophetic scripture I, uh, in Amos, I, I hate your festivals and I hate your sacrifices. Instead, let justice roll down like waters and righteousness, like an ever flowing stream. That's, that's my own sort of paraphrase translation of that. But I think about all of the ways in which God has these, things that God really, really wants. And that sometimes we as humans get in the way a lot. And that, that getting in the way is sometimes a lot of what, when religion gets it wrong is because we're getting. Yeah. Yeah, I think that takes us to our roadblock category of, Mm -hmm. and, and that getting in the way is, is yeah, a great segue because, you know, as I said earlier, when I think religion is harmful or even just stale, even just kind of lifeless is when that spiritual piece is lacking or pushed off to the side, you know, just to get really specific for like, if you are getting up on Sunday morning and going, ah, I've got to go to church, you know, if church has become a burden for you rather than this opportunity to worship God in a more formal way, then I, you know, that's normal sometimes, but if that's a cons- your consistent experience of your religion, then I think that might be time to do some examination about why you're continuing in that specific community and what that means for your spiritual life. And if it's pointing you to the God you say you worship, or if it's just become this rote ritual that has no meaning beneath it, you know, that has, if, that if you're doing it just for the religion, then without that spiritual piece is just time to examine a little bit. 
Yes. Yeah. So we're recording this the second day of the Lenten season, which we've talked about before. And Lent is so fascinating as a season. It's this liturgical season. Um, That's a churchy word for sort of the calendar of time that we use in measuring things. But in talking about all of the ways in which Lent is this season of journeying towards the cross, It, it begins with Ash Wednesday, which is a day where we're invited to consider our mortality and the fragility of life. And it ends on Easter Sunday when we celebrate the resurrection of Jesus after his crucifixion and um, death by the state and on Good Friday. And the idea of Lenten practices being, I have to give chocolate up for Lent because you give something up during Lent. And, and oh, I can't have chocolate. Right. And it becomes this competition of I I can last without chocolate and it becomes about me and my own motivation and my own ability to last without chocolate you know or or I'm not I'm gonna use all of the money that I would pay for my Starbucks latte or whatever or something like that and I'm gonna put it all aside and then I'm gonna give that money to charity or something like that what is it that that practice is doing is it Is it pointing to God? Is the absence of the Starbucks latte in your life actually giving you the ability to connect with God or to connect to something more meaningful? Is the absence of chocolate in your life really reminding you of the sacrifice that Jesus made in giving his life? Or is it a a competition of will or something like that? There are so many lengths when I gave up coffee and like I got to Easter Sunday and had like 18 cups of coffee and then was shaking for the next week because I hadn't had coffee, caffeine in 40 days or something like that. And I can't say that it was an experience where I was like, oh yes, not having coffee in my life makes me think about Jesus and my sacrifice. It often made me mad and gave me a headache and made me think like, why am I doing this? Like Jesus made the sacrifice so I wouldn't have to give up coffee. <laughs> well, and it, you know, I think the bottom line is, are we worshiping the ritual rather than what the ritual is pointing us to? Right. Because there can be great meaning in giving things up. You know, when I have given up chocolate, if I can be intentional about every time I want it, remembering the sacrifice that Jesus made and saying a prayer of gratitude for that, that was helpful for me. Um, Spiritual disciplines are helpful for me if they remain spiritual, you know, if they remain rooted in the meaning rather than me just getting focused on the burden of it. Yes. Yeah. Well, and I said earlier in episode two, it's about what we are doing and the ways in which it points to God. And I think when I think about your category about religious leadership, one of the things that is a regular, even more than daily, almost minute, minutely, (laughs) that's a new one for me but literally it is constantly on my mind when I am wearing my pastor hat and operating in my pastoral road the ways in which I have to get out of God's way and get out of the Holy Spirit's way so that the ways in which I provide leadership are constantly pointing back to God can remember being in grad school and taking a class on preaching and all the ways in which we use the quote, power of the pulpit. And there was a experience where someone 
wove a story through a sermon and the very ending of the sermon, the story, the last line of their sermon was, and that person was me. And we all sort of sat around and talked about the experience of ending a sermon that way because it made it about them and it made Mm. it about the preacher and the person standing in the pulpit and not about what the Holy Mm. Spirit was doing through them or the ways in which the Holy Spirit was active in the world or might be active in the lives of the, of the pulpit. I think about the ways that sometimes boundaries are enmeshed in, in, in roles of pastoral care and counseling. I always want to be cautious when I'm offering someone pastoral care or counseling that our relationship doesn't get too enmeshed because I want them to be able to sit in the pew or on their couch when they're watching worship on, on a screen and be able to hear the words of their preacher or the words of the Holy Spirit speaking through their preacher, I should say, and not be overwhelmed by, oh my gosh, I told her so many things. I have such a vulnerability hangover. Is she talking mm. about me now? Is she making all of these things? You know, not being able to worship fully because they're consumed because our roles got a little met. That, that self-consciousness with emphasis on self in that right. moment. Yeah, yeah. So that that idea of the ways that the church can push into these traditions I think about the, you know, what in, certainly in the mainline denominational church, the phrase, well, that's not how we've always done things <laughs> comes up a lot. And that is troublesome because what if God's trying to speak in a different way? What if the Holy Spirit has something to say that doesn't have to do with the way that we've always done yeah. things? Yeah, I had groupthink as a roadblock. And I think that's very similar of this is this is how we've always done it. And therefore we're going to continue to do it. And I want to keep saying that there can be great meaning in ritual and there can be great meaning in doing something in a new way and pushing ourselves out of our comfort zones. So just continually assessing, are we doing this because it's meaningful and we're intentional about how this points us to God or how this points us to a spiritual connection versus are we just doing it because we've always done it? One example I can think of of that is our uh, our congregation, as I understand many congregations do on Christmas Eve, usually light candles. And sometimes that lighting of candles is done around the singing of the Christmas hymn, Silent Night. And this year being a COVID Christmas, we did a lot of thinking and praying for the wisdom of the discernment of the Holy Spirit to help us figure out how to make some of our rituals and traditions helpful and sacred. And I did a lot of talking to our family, our congregational family about what would bring them meaning and what, what would be hopeful for them around the experience of Christmas Eve. And one of the things that kept coming up was our particular candles. We have um, these beautiful beeswax candles that are wrapped in red cray paper. That's a tradition that's somewhat tangentially connected to the Moravian church. And what we ended up doing is we still wrapped the candles and we left them out and offered people the opportunity to sort of pick up the candles and have them. And I can see all the ways in which having those candles could be more about keeping the tradition than about pointing to God 
but it was so powerful to be holding that candle in my hand on Christmas Eve as I was watching our it was a connection. It created and, a connection. I think exactly. And thinking about the connection and thinking about the ways in which my congregational family was also holding their candle in front of their screen. And maybe it might not have been happening at the same time. You know, maybe some people watched it at, you know, midnight on Christmas Eve and some people watched it at different times. But the idea that as we were holding those candles, we were all connected by the Holy Spirit through time and space and technology and all the ways in which that brought us together. And it was a very powerful spiritual moment of that connection, that something beyond ourselves. So I think that's a powerful example of of us doing maybe a good, a a ritual being a good thing and not prioritizing it over. And community being a good thing because you felt connected to people and that made us feel less alone, which the pandemic has done for many of us. Yeah. I think all of those just, we've talked about the religious harm of rules being prioritized over relationship. And that's, I think underneath all of this as well, just when the church rules and the church whatever the, the, the way the church, when we're doing things because of the rule and not because of the meaning behind the rule is where things can get really twisted. Right. Well, in the ways in which the structures of religion and the, the permission granting, there are religions that have rules around who can speak for God and who can't speak for God or who can be joined together by God and who cannot be joined together by God. And all of the ways in which those are, means of harm that don't point to God saying you can't speak for God doesn't point to God it it, and saying that you can't be joined together with the you know the person you love because you because God doesn't ordain that that that's pulling religion out of spirituality it's separating the two in ways that that cause significant harm yeah I think people take that text out of scripture and proof text. Again, I I think I've said every single episode, (laughs) the way scripture gets twisted to say, I want, I want religion to be this way. And so I'm going to take this scripture out of its context and use it to say what I want it to say to accomplish my agenda. I think that's a perfect segue to the next category of who's driving, you know, where are we seeing these issues of power and control? Who is, who's in charge and, And I just, I think that it's really important for any system, especially systems of power, but any systems to be willing to engage in constant reflection of why we're doing what we're doing and who is benefiting and what's driving this. So really think about if you are a part of a religious system or you're leading a religious system, who's benefiting from that and what kind of benefit is it? You know, is it a system that is gotten caught up in financial benefit like that's, or a pastor that's gotten caught up in financial benefit. And I want to say publicly by and large, most pastors are drastically underpaid and that most pastors are not, financially benefiting from this ministry. And then we have some very specific examples of where pastors do get kind of caught up in the financial control and might be less willing to really engage in what the spirit might be leading to because of the loss of their power or their control or that financial benefit. Um, So it's really easy to get caught off track with that. Most definitely. Yeah. I don't know of many 
uh, pastors or religious leaders who think, oh, I'm going to need to make some money. So I'm going to go into religion. Uh, <laughs> or counselors. I would say that too. Neither of our professions are ones you go in to make money. But if you do wind up making money, it's so easy to get caught up in this is cool and let's keep doing this and let's try to make more of it. And so it's, that's when I say a constant examination of what is driving this, what is driving the system, what is driving the leadership. Um, There's nothing wrong with a pastor making money. I want to be really clear about that. We're a counselor making money, but there's nothing wrong with a church, you know, growing and having financial security and that constant examination of that's not the point of the church underneath it all. Yes. Yeah. Well, and I would say the same goes, the same goes for power. It may not be financial power that mm-hmm. a, a religious leader is accruing, but other kinds of power and control and the ways in which they might act to, to maintain that power and control that don't necessarily point to the spiritual or the divine or God or something beyond themselves. Yes. So I would just continue to examine anything else from the who's driving category for you, Jill? No, I mean, you, you named it, you named okay. it. Um, I'll, I will jump if it's okay to a particular moment of road rage for Go, me. Oh, get ragey. Well, it just, <sighs> I am discouraged when people feel as though they cannot be both. Hmm. The ways in which a, a spiritual person does not feel that so they can be religious, which I can only imagine may have a very close tie to abuse or harmful practices that they have had to endure from a religious system. And that just, maybe that's not a, as much of a ragey moment as just like a, I'm so sorry. I, that, that makes me sad that those, they, they think that they can't, they're mutually excuse, exclusive and they can't be put together. Yeah. It's that superiority on either side of that, that self-righteousness. And again, that word self being there that I am better than you because I'm religious or I'm better than you because I'm spiritual, but not religious. So, so, you know, the people who, yes, I, I do get really frustrated with, with spiritual and I'm putting quotes around spiritual people who trash church. Mm-hmm. And, and I also realize in our podcast, we've had to rein ourselves in. <laughs> we've had to, we've tried to be really intentional about not falling into that trashing of church. But but yes, this having a negative experience with church is can be real and can be very impactful. And there are other narratives and experiences out there. And so, if you are spiritual and are choosing not to be involved in a religious system, I think that's fine. And. I, my little, I get frustrated when there's a trashing or superiority complex and the same thing with religious, with people who say you must be in church to experience the spiritual or to experience God or to experience the divine. That superiority I think is also untrue um, and does not need to stand on its high horse. Yes. I think it all comes back to, for me, the idea that these two ways of being have to be apart from each other and spiritual people can only be spiritual with other people who are spiritual and churchy people, religious people can only be religious with other people. And, you know, just the phrase churchy people, like there are lots (laughs) of ways in which the culture has twisted churchy people to be a certain kind of churchy people. Yeah. It's we're all, we're not all the church lady from Saturday night live. Again, if you're old like me and remember that skit, we'll try to throw up a, 
a YouTube link for that. Yeah. So I, I get frustrated by be, being put in a box on either end of that because sure. my spirituality certainly can be practiced through religion in a really important and meaningful ways. Um, and I would just rage also at all the stuff we've already discussed about people who get really locked into um, hanging on to things for the sake of the ritual versus the pointing to God. Um, yeah. Our U-turn, you know, I feel like we've discussed most of our U-turns already as well, but I would just say, I would encourage all churches to engage in that constant examination of what we are doing. Are we bringing the spiritual into our religion? Are we being intentional about pointing to God and what we're doing? Or are we really just getting caught up in um, just trying to get it done, checking off boxes, creating a bulletin? Uh, so just kind of constant examination and holding each other accountable in love that can be done in a loving way. Yeah. Yeah. For me, a U-turn is, is um, individual in nature that as we think about the ways we use the terms religion and spirituality to just put some thought behind it and some intentionality in, in how we distinguish between the two and the ways in which they overlap and can work together and the good they bring to your life. Cause I, I like religion. It's a good thing. I'm glad I have it. And I'm glad that the religion that I seek to practice try as hard as I can and sometimes fail is a spiritual, a spiritual practice that their spirituality in the way I practice my religion. Yeah. And you know, this might go into billboards a little bit, but just, you know, where, where we're seeing church affiliation, church membership, church attendance decrease, at least in America, you know, those numbers are plummeting. They're not just dropping, they're mm -hmm. plummeting. Yeah. And we may, I'm not so, I'm not as sure about the data on people who identify as spiritual, whether that's increasing or not. But I think a lot of this might have to do with when it gets pulled apart, you know, when religion starts trying to be performative or we're got to market to this certain person or this specific group, we got to, we got to bring in the youth. So we got to have a band here for this. If that is what the spirit is leading you to do, if someone really has a ministry around music and doing it in a different way, I think that can be beautiful, but it's, I just feel like so much religion has become, has started to feel inauthentic. Mm -hmm. And that's where I think that's driving those numbers dropping because people underneath it all want a real authentic experience connected to the spiritual. Right. Yeah particularly in the ways in which worship has become performative in nature because we're recording videos and mm. buying microphones and cameras and figuring out a way to do it remotely, which I imagine some religious leaders have been doing a whole lot longer than I have for the last 13 months, but it can be a real performative thing. Yeah. When it's going to last versus be this one hour in the morning. That's interesting. Right. Do you have other billboards or we've kind of covered a lot of them? We've covered a lot of them. You know, when I think of, of maybe how people have gotten frustrated, I think of televangelist. I thought specifically of Joel Osteen and in the floods, I think when a hurricane came through Texas, he was criticized for not opening up the church as a, um, as a place for people to stay and have shelter and how that was possibly pointing to 
the religion and the building and the organization and the structure taking precedence over the ministry and serving and the meaning and that existential kind of spirituality behind it. I also know that's probably lots of layers to what was behind that. And so that's kind of the story that was put out and how that kind of seemed, how that seemed to add to the narrative of religion exists without spirituality from people who don't engage in religion. So yeah. that seemed, that was one of the first ones that came to mind for me. And I'm sure there's yeah. other places where churches are seen to be more self-serving rather than ministering on a, in a wider way. Yeah, definitely. For me, it was, uh, I think I've actually mentioned this in another episode before it was on January 6th, watching the coverage of the insurrection on the Capitol and hearing uh, I believe it was Nora O'Donnell on CBS News was talking about how the rioters that were there at the Capitol, I can remember the words were, looks like there are a lot of followers of Donald Trump and a lot of followers of Jesus. And I remember hearing her say that and cringing and thinking, oh, people who are watching are going to think that anybody who follows Jesus is also supporting this act and supporting this thing. And that we, you know, culture can sort of conflate Christianity and Jesus followers into one stereotype that um, I can say personally, as a follower of Jesus did not support anything that was going on on January 6th in the Capitol insurrection. Yeah. I think most of our other episodes can point to this kind of distinction there. So, so yeah, lots of billboards of ways that Christianity gets a bad rap in the public arena. Some of it deserved and there are other narratives out there as well. So Paula, let's uh, put it in park. What are your final thoughts? You know, as I reflect on this and as I thought back over the concept and preparation for this, I just kept being struck by how fortunate I feel that I've had really positive experience in both of these realms that I've had really positive religious experiences. And then I've had really positive spiritual experiences and that they integrate so easily for me. And not that people who don't integrate them intentionally or otherwise, um, not that I'm better than those people in any way, but for me, it just, it really is helpful for those to be integrated. I'm, I, I need community. I need structure. I, I like organization but I also really need that bigger connection and bigger purpose that is driving that. So that's the main thing that stands out to me in just reviewing what all we talked about. I really am just struck about how important it is to continually examine our systems and our processes and our rituals and make sure that they have meaning and that they're pointing to worship instead of worshiping that ritual. Um, And that for counselors, just really being intentional about assessing for both and not assuming something when you see someone's religious experience or if they describe themselves as spiritual, but really being intentional about checking in with them about what they mean. So what are your put it in park final thoughts? Yeah, I resonate so much with everything that you've already said. Um, Interesting little side road. I would be fascinated in uh, hearing from folks about whether they have a preference for a particular term for, for the term religion or the term spirituality and how that relates to maybe their Enneagram number or their Myers-Briggs. Oh, Jill uh, loves her some Enneagram. Well, and like, I think about the Myers, like you said, I love structure and 
that is such a J on the Myers-Briggs and uh, which of which I uh, resonate very strongly with. I describe myself, identify as a very strong J on the Myers-Briggs. I too love structure and <laughs> lists and calendars and all those things. And so I think about that and I just, I wonder how all of those things sort of web and interrelate in interrelate and react with one another. I think that'd be a really fascinating yeah. thing to try and understand. That is interesting. Cause as you say that, I think I, I mean, every time I take the Myers-Briggs, I'm a J, but I am anyone who heard, hears that and has seen my desk probably laughs because <laughs> I'm not overtly organized. And I think that's also why it's helpful for me to have a structure, an external thing that allows this internal, that might be a different way to conceptualize it too, a more external framework that allows this internal process to come out and challenges it and creates new ways to interact in it and just allows a structure for it um, that I might not create if I'm left to my own devices to create the spirit. Some of the people are really good at having internal motivation to practice their spirituality. And I function better when I have an external drive for that. Fascinating. Fascinating. Oh, we could talk about this all day. I love it. But don't I, worry, listeners, we won't. <laughs> um, I think in terms of, of putting it in park for me and, and sort of where I would want to leave things is, again, with that intentionality of are you using the structure of religion to as a, as a pathway towards God or towards the, the divine, towards something bigger than yourself? Is there a communal nature in things? And specifically in the structures of religion, how are those structures built in order to proclaim and magnify the divine and the thing that is, is bigger than us and, and beyond us and ourselves? So thoughtfulness and intentionality behind how those terms are used and how they relate to one another and an awareness of our humanity in it all that spiritual or religious that we are all human that there is not a perfection uh, that I, I at least I would say we are not perfect we might strive for that kind of perfect perfection but what are the ways in which we limit ourselves with structures and rules and regulations that sort of take away from pointing that sort of that magnet on the compass that sort of pulls away from the true north? That's, I, I think about that a lot. I think about the ways in which religion can be seen as something that is constricting, but how it can also be so freeing and so yeah. beautiful. And there are so many ways that it can support our connection to, to God and to God's people and to ourselves and the divine within ourselves. So I'm, I'm excited to continue thinking about that and considering all of the ways that that, that Venn diagram of religion and spirituality and the ways in which they overlap and intersect with one another in yet another sacred intersection. Oh, nice tie-in. That's a nice, you're just been full of segues today. So that's a nice segue into reminding people that we would like to, and you to intersect with us on social media and let us know what you're thinking and find us and um, give us thoughts and feedback and join in. We don't want this to be a one-way conversation. 
Definitely. And there's lots of ways that you can do that. We have a website, sacredintersectionspodcast.com. On that website, there are resources. There are, uh, you can listen to our episodes and leave comments right there on the website. You can interact with us on social media. We're on Facebook and Instagram at Sacred Intersections Podcast and Twitter at Sacred Pod. Did I get that right? I Yes, you did. Woohoo! <laughs> Yes, you can send us an email at sacredintersectionspodcast at gmail.com. And we and we would love it if you would leave um, a review on Apple Podcast. We would really love it if you would share our podcast in some way, either on your social media or just telling people about it. Yeah. Definitely. And so we've said it before you. and we'll say it again. We really like you and we're glad that you're on this journey with us. So safe travels through all your sacred intersections throughout the week.